And I think that's mm-hmm. a lie our culture tells us is there's, you have to have compatible friends or there's a perfect BFF for you out there. No, you just need people. Welcome to the Strength and Dignity podcast, where we like to disrupt the Western story with God's biblical narrative. We often discuss difficult, avoided, or controversial topics here with the intention of diving into the scriptures to see what God thinks and says, despite how countercultural it might be. I'm your host, Kelsey Pryor. Welcome to our relationship series, where we will discuss romantic relationships as well as topics like friendship and singleness. I'm excited to dive into these topics with you featuring various guests. If you're enjoying this series, please be sure to leave us a rating and review. everybody. Welcome back to the Strength and Dignity podcast. I'm looking forward to today's episode because today in our relationship series, we're going to be talking about friendship. I just finished Kelly Needham's book, Friend-ish, and so I have the pleasure of speaking with her here today. Hi, Kelly. Hey, Kelsey. Thanks for having me on your podcast. Yeah, absolutely. So why don't you give us a brief background on your family, who you are, and then we'll kind of lead into um what prompted you to write the Friendish book and how your journey of learning about biblical friendship started? Sure. Yeah, I think um, the thing that is most true to like who I am at my core is I really love Jesus. I know that sounds just like the super Christian answer, but um, he got a hold of my heart when I was pretty young. And over the years, that's just blossomed and bloomed. And that's, you know, the center of gravity in my life is I want to know as much about him as I can um, for as long as I am able and tell people about him. And my love for him is what's led me into relationships like Mm -hmm. marriage. I got married when I was 20, which is out of the ordinary nowadays (laughs) more than ever. But, um, but like that was really um, Jesus led decision for me and my husband. So we've been married now 14 years. Wow. We now have three kids, two biological, one adopted. We're in the middle of another international adoption. And so are soon to have four kids. And (laughs) um, yeah, and in the middle of that, friendship has been important through every one of those seasons of my life. Jesus has really used that uh, to shape me. So that's um, awesome. a A little bit about me. Awesome. Thanks. Well, I think anyone listening can agree that friendship is just a huge part of life in general. But I think um, there's also a collision, just like most things, between worldly friendship and biblical friendship. And you kind of lay out that shift in thinking in your book really well. So I highly recommend that everyone go grab Friendish and read it. But while we have you here, we'll ask you some questions about it as well. So what? Um, give us like an overview of the paradigm shift between biblical and worldly friendship that you talk about in your book. Sure. Um, So most of us, I think, don't think very, like, uh, well about friendship. We just do it. We do friendship. Mm -hmm. All of us do it. Um, We all make friends since we were very young. And we make friends all throughout high school and college. And we usually do that the world's way because we're generally not being trained to do it any other way. So a lot Mm -hmm. of training in the church about how to think about dating, how to think about marriage, how to think about parenting. Um, All of those relationships get trained and talked about how does a believer think about those things as different from the world. But with friendship, there's almost zero training in that. It's just don't do bad things with your friends. Don't sin Mm -hmm. with your friends. Don't have friends that lead you uh, into sin. But I just found there's very little talk about that. And so there's a lot of confusion. And so really my hope in the book was to put some language to like what worldly friendship is like. Um, 
how those are off kilter a little bit and then go, what does the Bible say about our friendship and specifically about how we befriend others? Uh, what does our befriending look like uh, mm-hmm. to other people now that we're in Christ? How does Jesus coming into a human heart change the way we do friendship? Because it's extremely important in all of our lives. Yeah, absolutely. I've definitely experienced that clash. Um, Actually, (laughs) the way that I actually started reading your book was a total God thing because um, my dad was in my room and I was just cleaning my room and he was just talking to me and I was in the middle of something like, like hard in my friendship world. I don't even remember exactly what it was, but I was just like, I don't understand. And I started like listing all these things that were wrong in my friendships. And my dad goes, are you looking for a friend or a soulmate? And I was like, Mm. (laughs) and so I started realizing like lots of the criteria I had built up in my mind for friendship were like that of a spouse and I was like looking for this like perfect match and you know when you're looking for someone to marry that only happens once but I was expecting it to happen multiple times for my friendships and it had just been my birthday it was right after my birthday So I had a pile of some presents on my bed and I was cleaning them up. And at the bottom was a book that my um, cousin gave me and it was friendish right as I'm yelling at my dad about my friendships. And I was like, huh, maybe I should read this. (laughs) And so that night is when I read the intro and I was just in tears because you use a lot of things like maybe you felt this way, this way, this way. And I was like, this is exactly what I was just telling my dad how I felt. So it was really providential that I started reading your book and I just like read through it. right away but I felt um, my favorite chapters were when you talked about the marks of a counterfeit and there are three different ones do you mind talking about those three things sure yeah Um, the first counterfeit friendship is one that replaces Jesus so Mm -hmm. it's essentially a form of idolatry which we do all the time to that shouldn't feel condemning to us that's normal human heart is prone to worship the created things, not the creator. And we do that, like you said, with spouses, we do that with children, we do it with jobs, but we also do it with our friends. Um, Things that we should only be looking to Jesus for, Mm -hmm. we start looking to our friends for. Um, Things like stability, Uh, only Jesus can give us ultimate security and stability. Um, He is the solid rock, that Mm -hmm. when we stand on him, the ground is solid. Um, If we try to look for stability in a friend, a BFF who's like gonna be there for us, no matter what, it's going to fail us. Or if we look for security, um, significance, who gives our life meaning, all of those things are meant to be met in Christ, mm-hmm. the fountain of living waters. A friend can never uh, fill that void, maybe for a short time, but they'll always disappoint. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the first one. The second one is a friendship that is selfish, a friendship of selfishness, where uh, really we're coming into friendship going, what do I want and mm-hmm. what do I need? Um, mm-hmm. I'm going to befriend somebody to get something from them. I'm in friendship to get something. Mm-hmm. And that's pretty normal worldly friendship. That's why people make friends and mm-hmm. um, in the culture around us is to get those things. But that is not the way that we're taught in the Bible to treat anybody. We're called to love them as Christ loved us, which is sacrificially. So that's the second mm-hmm. counterfeit. And then the third one um, is friendship that mimics marriage. So kind of what you were saying, there's a temptation, I think, specifically, I think with men and women, um, it's more Mm -hmm. common in women maybe uh, to, in the waiting for a soulmate, in the waiting for a a marriage partner, we want somebody to like fill the void void right now. Yeah. And so we start to look for that one single other person who um, we unite our lives with 
and mm-hmm. we do covenantal things with it. Really, the Bible would only say marriage should uh, the, is the only place we're supposed to let two people become one unit. But we try to right. do that with friendship, mm-hmm. um, and we usually call it best friendship. And I don't think it's wrong to have a best friend. I don't think that language is sinful, but I I think that's how it plays out culturally. Is yeah, this is my best friend, and we're really a couple, and right. um, normalizing that when really that's that's not healthy. Mm-hmm. Um, to be in a friendship like that. So those mm-hmm. are, are the main three categories, I think. Um, types of friendship we think are good and feel good, maybe yeah. on the front end, but really are not healthy for a Christian. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I loved all three of those chapters. And I, I've got to say the selfish one caught me off guard just because I wasn't expecting to feel so convicted in that chapter. The other two, I feel like I can plainly see when it's a sin. Like even if I'm in the moment not aware of it, I can like later on be like, I guess that was idolatry or, you know. Um, But the selfishness one, I was like, well, yeah. Like why else would you, (laughs) why else would you (laughs) want a friend? Cause you trying to, you know, like not only take something, but hopefully also give something. But it felt like very transactional in the way that I thought about it. And I know that that's wrong in marriage. And that's when I started to realize, oh, these teachings I hear about marriage in terms of like, you don't want your spouse to replace what you should be getting from Jesus and all these kinds of teachings that I hear in the church. I never realized that those also like transferred to other relationships as well. And that those are also things to be guarding against. And so that was just switch flip in my (laughs) in my mind when I read that um but going off of your what you said about you don't want um that best friendship to be like covenantal and replacing marriage um in any way um so I'm a 21 year old single Christian girl and um on my journey of being content in singleness one of the things I realized that I was missing the most from not being married is the companionship and so I started to go down this path in my head of well maybe I don't need a companionship in marriage as long as I have this companionship in friendship and the way that um especially when I was younger I can definitely identify um how this has played out in my life negatively in my friendships but have only been aware of it as I've gotten older is I do find like the one person and I cling to them <laughs> and I don't know if anyone else listening can relate to that but I think they can um yes. and so when you are thinking about like single especially women like you were saying um who are really trying to be like content in their singleness or just wrestling with that um having friendship replace that um, companionship feeling that people usually get out of marriage um, can be really difficult to not to navigate no like what are the um, boundaries there what are some like stumbling blocks Um, how can you know when you're starting to um, go down that unhealthy path of friendship especially when you're single sure Um, I think that the easiest like trap to fall into in that is to essentially trade uh, one form of idolatry for another, which is kind of what we're talking about. Um, When part of the struggle of singleness is um, there's this person, I want this one other guaranteed companion in my life. And we tend to look at marriage and go, what provides you this guaranteed covenantal, they've promised they'll always be there. I will always have a companion, always have someone to call at night, Mm -hmm. fill in the blank. Now you talk to plenty of married women and they will tell you loneliness does not go away when you get married. Mm. Um, it's a more profound and sometimes harder type of loneliness because you feel lonely and isolated and alone with someone laying in the bed next to you. And that feels 
sometimes even more full of despair for some people because hmm. there's no hope to get out of it. You're st- stuck with this person right? and you feel isolated from them. So loneliness is not solved in marriage. Um, and we might know that in theory, but what we can do is go, I, okay, I don't have that. Let me go to the next second best type of person. Essentially, we're still looking to people to fill that relational void. Um, mm-hmm. If we don't have a spouse, I look for a friend. Right. And I, I think there's, we have to be careful here because we need community. I would say mm-hmm. uh, for married and single, we have to have companionship with other people. But I think that should be a corporate thing that I need a small group. I need a church body. I need, I need other people in my mm-hmm. life as a married woman and as a single woman. I may be single again. Like the Lord doesn't promise that our marriages will last forever inside of eternity. I could be a widow one day. I need friends in every one of those seasons. And, and so do you, and so does everybody listening. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the lie that the culture tells us and the lie we believe is that if I just had one other guaranteed person, then I'd feel safer. I'd feel mm-hmm. um, less alone. And I think that's a lie. Um, only Jesus, a relationship with, with Christ, can actually satisfy the relational, the deepest relational longings of our soul can only be met in God. And that's hard, right? Because God doesn't talk back to us like a friend does. God can't mm-hmm. hug us like a friend can. And so there is an element of faith in that. But that's what the Bible teaches is that he is the fountain of living waters. Nothing mm-hmm. else can satisfy the, that ache in us, that thirst in us. Um, and so in singleness, if you um, aren't looking to a spouse, but you're looking to a friend, it, it, it's still not the fountain of living water. So it's still not going right. to satisfy. You'll just yeah. bounce from friend to friend, from BFF to BFF, to friend group, to friend group, small group, small group, going maybe one day I'll find the perfect formula of relationships and then I'll be satisfied. And, yes. and it will never, ever, ever satisfy. People will always disappoint. Spouses, friends, they all will. Only when Christ fills that void, then we can actually enjoy what community has to offer for us. Um, and that is important. This is not a, and you know, you've, you've read my book. Uh, my hope in, in writing it was not to tell people they don't need friends. Right. Uh, yeah. <laughs> the opposite. I was like, you really do need friends, but you're not going to get everything that you're meant to get out of it. If you're mm-hmm. looking to them for the wrong things, if you're looking to them to, uh, fill that void, that ache you have, that longing for your loneliness to be gone. But in my experience, my loneliness goes away when I look to Christ, not when I look to my husband or to a friend, um, even though that feels really counterintuitive. feels like, how could mm-hmm. that be so? Uh, you can't see God or hear him, but it's, a, it's been, it's the truth. It's been my experience. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it sounds like it's almost more of an advantage to people to learn this before marriage in their friendships because it sets them up more for success um, in making sure that their satisfaction is coming from Jesus and not their potential future spouse or their current friendships. Mm-hmm. Um, so can you explain a little bit of what that looked like for you as you started to learn like how to go to Jesus first and like what that satisfaction brought and like just different. Do you have like any stories about that? Yeah. Um, I think that learning to treat God like a person was mm. a huge shift. Um, not like a, a system or a religious set of duties that I do, but to go, you, God, you say that you're a real person that hears, that listens, that speaks back. So I'm going to talk to you like that. Um, there was a day, a, a good example of this, a day that my husband was on the road. So he used to do music, was gone a lot on tour. I'm home by myself. 
So feeling really lonely. It's the end of the night. I just put the kids to bed and he's on stage. So I can't call him. And I don't remember what was happening in my life. I just know I felt really beat down, discouraged and sad and alone. And so I started sending those kind of phishing texts out to my friends. If you know what I mean? Hey, what are you doing tonight? You know, like, I don't want to tell you that I'm like sitting on my bathroom floor crying, but I'm going to just see if you'll respond to me. So I'm throwing out some, you know, bait and I'm getting zero response. Uh, And that's not like they're they're ignoring me. These are other moms at the time. Like they're probably busy, but no one's mm -hmm. responding to me. And I just felt like, gosh. Um, And I remember this moment of being on the floor in my bathroom and then going, God, I don't want to talk to you. I know that I can, but I want to talk to a person. And so I just started talking to him, not like uh, I might have usually, Lord, thank you so much for today. And you're so Mm -hmm. wonderful. It was just, God, I don't want to talk to you. Uh, I want to talk to a friend. You don't speak back to me the same way. I have to wait to hear from you. And I don't even know it, but you know, I'm just letting the words Mm -hmm. flow out of my mouth. And then I stopped and I listened because what friendship is good when you do all the talking, you just Mm -hmm. talk for 20 minutes and then you leave, you would have not a good friendship at all with somebody if you treated them that way. Yeah. And we do that to God. We just talk at him and then we peace out. And so Mm -hmm. I started listening and just let my heart be quiet. And the spirit uh, started bringing to mind sins in my life that I didn't want to deal with, which is probably why I didn't want to talk to God. <laughs> but I'm like, oh, now I have to confess these things to you, Lord. And I just had this, but what turned, what started as a really uncomfortable moment in my relationship with him um, became, an, as I look back now, it was a way that he was pursuing me. He was, everybody was busy and that was his doing. And then he was alone with me and prompted me to start. We just had a conversation and um, I talked to him honestly which friends do with one another. They speak honestly, good friends do. I listened, which good friends do that. And, um, and then I, I wanted to hear more of what he had to say. I started reading my Bible and talking back to him. Um, my relationship with God and my, uh, the feeling of closeness I have with him feels more like writing letters back and forth with a friend who lives far away than it does a phone conversation. You, know, mm-hmm. you write a letter, you put it in the mail, and then you wait a couple of days, but you keep checking the mailbox because you know they're going to yeah. respond. And yeah. so there's an active waiting on God, which the Bible calls mm-hmm. waiting on the Lord. And he does respond. And he responds through his word, through your prayers, through your circumstances. And those moments have felt so personal to me um, mm-hmm. that God has felt as tangible as my friends. Uh, as I've been willing to be honest with him and not fake <laughs> and mm-hmm. to listen, to actually give him the time of day to speak back to me. And, and get to know him. So that's just one, that's what it looks like in my life. And that was one way where I was looking for my friends to be that for me. And God in his kindness said, no. Yeah, yeah. You, you need me. Totally, that's amazing. Um, especially because he, know, he knew what you needed in that moment, even if you weren't in the place to be like, rejecting friends so that you could spend time with God. He, he like did that part for you so that he could spend time with you. So that's really sweet. Yeah. Um, could you talk a little bit about my, I loved the intro of your book when you're describing, um, I think it was the intro or it was very soon in the beginning, um, like a table of friends that you would meet with every week, I think. And yeah. I was just like, how did that happen? <laughs> <laughs> I grew up, um, homeschooled and lo- I have lots of really good friendships, but they're all from different 
parts of life. They're not like a group of friends that we all went to school together and stuff like that. And I know that you described how you had just moved to a new place. And so I wondered if you could talk a little bit about how you found those friendships and some of the most beneficial um like aspects of having a consistent and somewhat committed, it seems like to come once a week yet not committed enough to like replace marriage or replace Jesus. So can you talk a little bit about how you guys came to that point? Yeah. Um, I think to get good friends, you have to be willing to put yourself out there. And um, most of us don't like doing that. It feels too scary to kind of I, my first friend in that group, part of the way that started is uh, I didn't have any friends locally. I had a lot of friends all around the nation, but no one right down the street. And I, I knew a couple of ladies that I had met, but like very acquaintance. I didn't have their phone numbers. So mm. I had email addresses for some reason. So I sent an email and essentially said in my email, hey, I need friends. Will you be my friend? So wow. That's, that's really how that happened. I was like, Hey, look, I'm not traveling as much as my husband. I don't have any friends. I know you guys are all, and they were three really good friends. They grew up together. They went to high school together. So I was oh, clearly wow. an outsider. And I just, but I just wrote to them and I was like, I just need community. And it's okay. It, when you do that with people, you have to give them an out. You don't mm-hmm. know what their limitations are. I can't force people to be my friend, but I did right. ask. And one of these uh, girls responded right away and said, yeah, let's get coffee at Starbucks this week. I was like, mm-hmm. oh, okay. So we started getting together and getting to know each other. She really had a hunger for God as well, which was awesome. And then we were both like, neither one of us were meeting with people. So we're like, well, let's, she was like, I heard of this other girl who goes to my church who I think wants community. Let me ask her. And then I worked mm-hmm. next to a girl in the office next to me who I thought, oh, I'm just going to ask her. So we just, it kind of just naturally, wow. we just started asking people. And the common theme was, um, do you want to go deeper with Jesus, but with other people? I mean, that was Mm. kind of, it was not just a let's, we need friends for friends sake. It was, Mm. I want to run hard after Christ and I need people to do that with me. Are you Mm. in? And there were about seven of us and we all said, we're in. And we met at um, a restaurant, some kind of takeout restaurant. And that was the first time we'd all met each other face to face. So we weren't even like, super close friends. We just, everybody kind of heard from someone. We all got together and our first meeting was um, go around the table and like get to know each other. Are you married? Are you not? You know, where are you in life? What's your job? Um, And then we came up with a list of questions we wanted to ask each other every week, which was, are you letting your work take the place of Jesus? Hmm. Um, What does it look like, you know, to be in the word this week? Or I don't know. We asked different things. And then we went through a Bible study and asked those questions every week. And so we really built friendships from the ground up for that group. Hmm. And that only lasted for a couple of years. And then about three of us for different unrelated reasons moved um, out of the city. And it was a really sweet season that just the Lord had together, but that taught me so much for future moves that I went, if I wanna have those type of friends, I've gotta be willing to ask. And so that's what I tell people a lot is if you want that, start at your local church, that's a great place to start. And just Mm -hmm. ask people, people you don't know very well, be like, hey, I wanna go deep with Jesus and I wanna like meet weekly with some people are you interested in that? But you have to be able to say, it's okay if you don't need that in your life right now. And you Mm -hmm. might get rejected. Someone might say no. So you move on to the next person. And I think part of what that teaches us is we don't need a specific friend or a specific group uh, to be our friends for friendship to fill that void. And I think that's Mm -hmm. a lie our culture tells us is there's 
you have to have compatible friends or there's a perfect BFF for you out there. No, you just need people mm. who also want to follow Jesus. And it really doesn't mm. matter who they are, what life stage they're in, if they click with you or not. You just need someone who's also desperate for Jesus. And so mm. those, those people are out there. You just have to be willing to ask. And you can do like I did. Send an email. Say, hey, yeah, <laughs> I need friends. That's awesome. And uh, what do you think? And they might yeah. all look at you like you're crazy. Some people did that to me. That's okay. Move on. And the Lord's going to provide somebody. Um, might not be who you wanted. Yeah. But it will be people. And that's what you need is just other, other women to link arms with and go, we're going to run after Christ together. Mm -hmm. We're going to go deep with him. It's going to be awesome. And it will yeah. be. It's yeah, and I, I bet when you have less of a picky filter, um, having the differences in seasons and life stages and stuff like that actually provides for better sharpening because everyone's Absolutely. from like different backgrounds and is there for um, from a different place. So that's really cool. Um, one thing that I've noticed in myself, and I just hear about it all the time, especially in female friend groups, is it's really hard to not have drama that hurts like the core of the friend group. Um, one time I was experiencing this and um, my mom was like, hey, what's going on? I've noticed that this, this and that happened different lately. And I was like, it's, it's really complicated to explain. I'm trying to just fix it or whatever, like so that we can like move on. And she was like, okay. And she kept like asking little probing questions and it seriously was confusing enough. I just didn't know how to even start. And, um, she, she was like, is this like, like she was asking some sort of probing question that made me say this kind of thing would never happen in a guy friend group. And she was like, okay, that's all I needed to know. I was like, this feels like the typical petty girl thing that we should be able to quickly get over. And it's for some reason, it's a lot harder than we thought it would be. And it ended up resolving itself actually really well. But I got discouraged in that moment because I just thought, is this how all friend groups need to be? Like, is there just always going to inevitably be this like, you know, this dramatic thing that happens that affects people different ways that incites passive aggressiveness or gossip. And um, luckily, this specific scenario I'm talking about lasted literally only a day. It was just a very intense day. <laughs> um, but I just didn't know if, um, especially having so many friends from different places and not knowing each other very well um, in that group or in other groups or just individual friendships that you've had, um, what's some advice you have for specifically avoiding um, like leading into gossip. Like, I like how you said you guys had questions you would ask each other each week. That seems like that kept you like on point for what you were trying to accomplish in that group. Um, but if there's any other strategies or things that you've learned about specifically avoiding gossip, I think that'd be really helpful. Sure. Well, um, I don't think it's possible to have friend groups, uh, and not have problems because <laughs> we're all sinners yeah. and real friendship, like real true friendship that the Bible calls us to means we should be walking so honestly and closely mm -hmm. with one another. Like we all want those close relationships, right? Mm -hmm. When you do that, um, you do become like family and you sin against each other because you're living in more honesty and more closeness. The very mm -hmm. thing you want actually then exposes you to the sins and you know issues that your friends have and you to them. The problem and the reason we have drama is we don't, especially women, we don't address it straightforwardly. 
Mm. We're not willing to go into those waters of conflict. And I think real friendship, a mark of real real friendship is conflict. Because when we sin against one another, we're willing to go, hey, that hurt my feelings. Um, And talk about it and say, this is my feelings and I don't appreciate that. And be open to someone else saying that to us. Mm -hmm. Hey, that what you did hurt my feelings. And sometimes it's our blind spots. We're not doing it on purpose. It's just things about us that God's still sanctifying that are still there and, and hurt people and we don't mean it, but we need our friends to, to do that. That's part of the function of friendship. It sanctifies mm-hmm. us in that way. But women, um, we tend to just, for some reason, think that everybody should be able to read our minds. Men, yeah. women, everybody. <laughs> uh, it's like, don't you know that I'm mad <laughs> by the fact that I didn't put an exclamation point on the end of my text? Like, yes. Can you want to read that? You know? <laughs> and we all do it. I do it. And I have to catch myself and be like, Kelly, be straightforward, you know, but we all tend to just want our friends and anyone else in our life to be able to read our minds, know what's wrong and approach us about it. And then when yeah. that doesn't happen, we get bitter and mad and we start being passive aggressive and pulling away from the relationship. And then the person's going, why are you not calling anymore? Why, you know, and then yeah. it turns into trauma and then it turns into gossip because we still want friends. So we go to other people and we talk about the problems. Yeah. But Jesus tells us in Matthew 18, when your brother or your sister sins against you, go to them directly, one-on-one, and speak honestly about it. Tell them what they did. And mm-hmm. that's really scary and nerve-wracking for most people, but is a really important part of friendship to sit somebody down and say, hey, this was not okay with me, and mm-hmm. I love you, and I value our friendship, and that's why I'm having this conversation. Now, what do you think? You know, and maybe they have a beef with you you don't know about, and no one wants to have those conversations, but all my friendships, all my closest friendships have all had that in common. We've had that. We've gone there with each other. And that produces a level of trust that I think is really valuable. Now I know Mm -hmm. I don't have to guess anymore if my friends are mad at me because if they are, they'll tell me because they have, (laughs) you know, and they don't have to guess with me either because if I have a problem, I'll tell them. And we've been there and you, you get these relationships now that are really valuable. So I I think the drama free is totally possible if there's a commitment up front to go, we're going to be honest with each other. And if you're in a new friendship, sometimes that's a conversation you can just have up front and say, hey, I don't know about you, but I really don't like drama. And I know that means we need to be able to be honest with each other. And mm-hmm. so I want to commit to you if you'll commit to me that if something's wrong in our friendship or you've hurt my feelings, I'm going to tell you and be honest with you, not yeah. in a mean way, but I'm going to be honest. And will you do that for me as well? Will you commit to me that if I offend you, or I'm unkind to you in some way, even if it's like a sin of omission, like it was your birthday and I forgot, or it was the day your mom passed away and I, I forgot to text you on that day. Like, mm-hmm. will you say something to me? I want to hear that. And that can really set up a friendship well or a group well to avoid drama, to just mm-hmm. commit to be straightforward. And I think guys do that naturally and really well. That's why yeah. they have less drama. They have the same amount of sin. They just deal with it and we yeah make it more complicated <laughs> yeah absolutely absolutely well one of the other pitfalls of friendship that you described in your book um that I I don't know if I mentioned this at the beginning but I did I went through friendish with a group of my friends and it was really awesome because one of the reasons is it kind of gave us common language to be able to talk about di- different things or identify different problems and we've talked about it since then even though we're on to other books um and it's been really awesome but one of the questions that we had as a group that no one in the group really had an answer for we just kind of discussed it and then we were like 
uh, I feel like we have questions. <laughs> and it was the chapter where you talked about same-sex attraction and how that has kind of evolved in modern-day friendships, like um, in the show Friends, which I love the show Friends, and it does feel like that's the most, like that's the type of friendship we're all going for where you live across the right. hall and you know everything about everyone and you're together all hours and whatever. Um, and you describe some of the pitfalls of that type of friendship and one of them being same-sex attraction. Um, so I didn't know if you could kind of talk about where that stems from, if you could explain the thinking behind that um, because I think it's become so normal to use like romantic language or um, mm -hmm. like girls cuddle, guys shouldn't, you know, like that kind of thing. And it's mostly in girl friendships. So um, why don't you talk about that? Sure. Um, when I uh, was first interested in writing this book, uh, that the same sex attraction piece had a, a that was a big part of it. Mm. Um, I was in college and in some mentoring situations uh, with younger people, high schoolers and younger college students. And some of those behaviors were showing up in uh, friendships between Christian girls. So girls who are like praying together all the time, going to Bible studies. So like they're doing a lot of uh, things that you'd be like, of course, yeah, they're not partying. But um, it started to feel really normal and natural for them to cuddle together for hours. That turned into making out. That turned into other things. And both oh. of them would say things like, I'm really confused. Hmm. I, I want to be married to a man. Why does this feel right? Why does this feel natural? Hmm. Um, and that is a very common experience uh, that hmm. I started to see over and over again. And some of that prompted my journey into thinking about these things. Like, man, what is happening here? And really, I think uh, one of the things that we don't want to deal with, but is biblically a truth, is that none of us are above any sin. So mm. uh, the world around us will tell us that that's a disposition maybe that you're born with or you're not. Um, and I think the Bible says that's a, a sin issue and it's not a disposition issue, which means that for all of us who are sinners, um, no sin is beyond us. And I think that when you um, create marriage-like friendships, hmm. that sin feels starts to feel really normal. It, the sin of idolatry in a friendship, of making it like a marriage, starts to uh, disorder your desires. Your desires are becoming skewed. And that's some of what Romans 1 talks about, that when we start to worship something that's not God, which is any person, our desires and our preferences tend to get disordered and, and they they are no longer uh, right and appropriate. And that can show up in our sexuality, but that can show up in our spending and that can mm -hmm. show in how we treat our parents. Um, it can show up in a lot of ways, but uh, that can happen in it feeling right and natural to feel attracted to a friend. Mm -hmm. And um, a lot of the people I would start to counsel over the years would go, oh my gosh, does this mean I'm a lesbian? I would mm -hmm. say, no. Uh, you're just a female sinner and your sin is showing up in this way. I'm mm. a female sinner too. And my sin could show up that way too. If I'm not careful, mm. you know, David should be such a warning to us. King David, right? This man mm -hmm. of God who then becomes an adulterer and a murderer and a mm -hmm. liar and a thief. Um, it's like, Oh my gosh. But it's like, that could happen to yeah. any of us. And so um, any type of idolatry will produce disordered desires. And I think that combination of factors, right? The, the cultural pressure we all feel to find a somebody, um, the loneliness we all feel, which might be tied to our technology, 
Um, we find this perfect other person that feels like a fit and it just feels so right. And then our desires in our idolatry are getting warped and skewed. Mm-hmm. And so it begins to feel natural to have sexual desires for somebody who is our friend. Mm-hmm. And um, the root of that is not the sexuality. I think the root of that is the idolatry. It's mm-hmm. you, you were looking to your friend to be your everything. And that was, that's the root. The mm-hmm. fruit was you had some sexual desires that were not appropriate, but um, right, that happens in boyfriend-girlfriend relationships. That boyfriend yeah. becomes your everything and you start to uh, sleep with him before you're married. It's like, that's a disordered sexual desire, right? But mm-hmm. it came out of, he was my everything. And that was the root. That was, that's the main problem. Mm-hmm. And I think that it, the culture would like us to think the main problem is your sexuality and your sexual identity or fill in the blank. Mm-hmm. Um, I would just say it was a common enough thing. And I, I also interviewed a lot of men for this book as well. And men said the same, there were men I interviewed who would say the same thing that mm. their hunger for relationship and male companionship and like bromance thing, mm-hmm. um, led to sexual desire for their friends. And so it is, it happens in both genders. Um, so I think it is, my hope in the book was just to give hope to the person who might be struggling with that or feeling mm-hmm. that and feeling really condemned by the enemy or shamed or yeah. worried that like, oh my gosh, am I something, is this my identity? To say, mm-hmm. no, you're a sinner, you're a female sinner or you're a male sinner. That's mm-hmm. all the options. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> female sinner and male sinner redeemed by the grace of God in those, yeah. those, those options. And that's it. You fit into one of those. And um, if idolatry of your friend has been an issue, it might have manifested that way, mm-hmm. especially if you acted like you were married. That shouldn't be a surprise, right? If we are knighting our right. whole lives together, that we would want to express that physically. That's in some ways how God designed it, um, which is why it's not appropriate outside of marriage. But uh, it does happen. And so my hope whenever I talk about that to anyone listening is to just say, don't feel alone. Don't mm-hmm. feel inordinately shamed for that. Um I've gotten hundreds of emails over the years writing about this from men and women saying, that's me and I've never told anyone. Hmm. And I've always felt really weird or condemned or shamed for that. But that's, um, you shouldn't feel that way. You should repent of the sin of idolizing friends Mm -hmm. and ask God to change your heart. But uh, there's so much grace for that. And we're all capable of that um, if we're not careful and on guard, um, which is why it's good for us to have a diversity of friendships. Mm-hmm. that we're relying on a community of people, not just a one single person, married or single. We need a community um, to lean on and that point us to Jesus. Yeah, absolutely. I love how you said um, we're all capable of all these sins and we just don't like to think about it. So when we're mm-hmm. encountered with um, a sin that might be um, either more condemned or more looked down upon or new for us to experience, we can often either feel a bunch of shame or we want to accept it and normalize it and say right. there's nothing wrong um, instead of just identifying it and repenting from it and then moving on. So that's yeah. super helpful. And I, that, that just creeps into lots of facets of life, not just friendships. So <laughs> very yes. helpful and very um, useful. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Kelly, for um, coming on to the Strength and Dignity podcast. I'm sure that everyone listening learned something from this. And I encourage everyone to go get the Friendish book. Um, where can they find the book, Kelly? 
Well, you can, uh, of course, find it on Amazon as yes. most other things. And I actually have a study guide um, that you can work through as an individual with a group that's also on Amazon that you'll find. Oh, awesome. Well. And it's on my website. Um, you could find it in most bookstores. It's in my Barnes & Noble, I think. And uh, ideally, it's hopefully in yours, too. Awesome. Perfect. Well, thank you so much, Kelly. Have a nice evening. Thank you. You too, Kelsey. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Strength and Dignity. Make sure you follow us on Instagram and Facebook and sign up for our newsletter to be notified of all the fun stuff we have rolling out. All the links can be found in the description below. Hope you tune in next time.